tell you about Wednesday night. Some don't come on Wednesday night. I know it's summertime. We usually do a lot of different things, but if you can, you need to come. Uh, I entitled it, You Ain't Seen Nothing Yet. That's not good English, but I graduated from Williston High School. <laughs> but that's the title anyway. Uh, we're really talking about something that people hear about but don't know much about. It's a prophetic, it's a Bible prophecy series. It was going to be two days, it's not, I mean, two different weeks. It's now it's going to be six, maybe seven or eight, I don't know. Uh, one of the biggest things that the Bible says of the last days in Daniel 12, 4, says the increase of knowledge. And things are moving so quickly, exponentially. If you know anything about exponential growth, it may go along like this, but once it turns up, it turns up. And uh, one of the things people are talking about that really is interesting because it, it is what's going to allow the one world government and the things that we've read about all our lives and heard preached about all our lives to actually come into fruition uh, and I'm not talking about 50 years from now. I'm not talking about 30 years from now. Me and Tony kind of have a running joke about it. I said, I just don't see how we can be here 15 years. Uh, and that's trying to be as conservative as I can. Amen. We're looking at now what's, what's being planned in the next five years uh, to seven years that will blow most people's minds. And I'm talking about in our homes, our cities, our shopping, our agriculture, our education, our medicine, our law enforcement, our military, and religion. Yeah. Something's fixing to change quickly. So I want you to come and be a part on Wednesday night. It's going to be different because it's going to be a lot of clip, film clips and me talking in between. But uh, we'll try to get through it. If you've got your Bibles today, turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 11. We've got this one and one more. We've been marching through this book, chapter of time, and this is going to be part one and part two, the facts of life. That ought to get your attention. If nothing else, I'm going to tell you about the facts of life. Uh, chapter 11, we're going to read it out of, out of the NIV version. Ship your grain across the sea. After many days, you may receive a return. Invest in seven ventures, yea, and eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. If clouds are full of water, they pour rain on the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. And you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb. So you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Sow your seed in the morning and at evening, let your hands not be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. Light is sweet, and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all, but let them remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. You who are young, be happy while you're young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart, and whatsoever your eyes see, you know, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. So then, banish anxiety from your heart, and cast off the troubles of your body, for youth and vigor are meaningless. <clears throat> Forrest Gump said his mama told him, life is like a box of chocolates, you never know what you're going to get. 
One person said it's like this, life is like a camera. Focus on what's important, capture the good times, develop from the negatives, and if things don't work out, take another shot. Alexander Chalmers said this. He made a very great statement about what the essential to having a great life. Something to do, someone to love, and something to hope for. I've always heard the essentials of life are air, food, water, and shelter. But the will to live is a very powerful thing, too. Uh, the will to continue. I was reading here recently some stories about people that have come through some disasters and how they would not give up. One was a man named John Coulter. He was an American trapper. He was part of the Lewis and Clark expeditions. Uh, in 1808, him and another guy, I think his name was John Potts, they were going down the river and they were attacked by the Blackfoot Indians. And uh, they were going to give up because they were surrounded and John Potts took a shot at one of them and they filled him full of arrows and he was gone. So John Coulter uh, surrendered and they figured out what to do with him and they stripped him naked and said, take off, boy, <clears throat> and run. And they were going to hunt him and chase him. And he ran for his life, literally ran for his life. But just the, what took place during that time was pretty amazing. He ran over 200 miles to, before he got to Fort Raymond and was rescued. Aaron Ralston in 2003 was hiking in Utah. You've heard of this guy. A boulder slipped, pinned his arm. He had nobody was going to come rescue him. He, he didn't know what to do. And on the fifth day, he cut his arm off. The only way he could survive. survive. And with one arm off, he repelled 60 feet down a mountain and made it safe. It's amazing things just to read what people that have a will to live will do. Sometimes, some things that bother us or bring questions to us is what makes people live a long life. February 21st, 1995, Chicago Tribune did an article about a lady from France named Jean or Jean Calment. Uh, she, had, she was the oldest woman on the earth, 120 years old. And they did three books about her, and they were asking her a bunch of questions, trying to find out what's the secret to her long life, because everybody wants to live a long time. <clears throat> and here's what they found out. She ate two pounds of chocolate a week for years. <laughs> she did quit smoking at the age of 117. She quit smoking. She cooked with olive oil, took walks, and rode her bike until she was 100 years old. At 120 she was in a wheelchair the rest of her life. She lived to be 122. <clears throat> they asked her what kind of future she expected. She says, a very short one. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> life is a precious thing. One of the reasons we see our society decaying is because we have no regard for life anymore. From the womb to the tomb, life is precious to God. There used to be a magazine called Life. You remember that magazine? It was popular from 1936 to 72. That was the golden years of it. Uh, my favorite cereal, if I was going to give you my top three favorite cereals for breakfast, one of them would be life. I like life. We're going to talk about the facts of life today from Solomon in chapter 11. Now, it's going to take me about 10 minutes to get to the text, so hang on. Uh, the Christian life is about trusting. I'm going to tell you what it takes to enjoy your life, and that's what Solomon's going to tell us. Christian life is not boring. My daughter says my life is boring because I'm predictable. I'm very regimented. I'm going <clears> to 
<clears throat> do this at this time. She said, I know where you're going to be at 530. I know where you're going to be at 8. I know what you're going to be doing at lunch. I know what you're going to. And I'm very predictable. I will admit that. I'm not one of those. Now, some of you are. I'm never going to be one of those that say, let's just get in the car and let's drive and we'll just go somewhere and don't know where we're going, don't know when we're going to stop. We'll stop when we feel like it. That ain't me. I know where I'm going, know where I'm stopping and when I'm going to go and when I'm going to stop. Uh, so a lot of people are different about that, but I'm very regimented. Uh, I prepare messages and I study. Somebody said, why don't you just get up here and talk? Uh, I'd go all over the place if I didn't have some kind of structure. Uh, I've, I've heard out of the hundreds of preachers I've listened to, I've heard maybe one or two that could get up and talk without many notes. Everybody else, uh-uh, you can't follow them. I was taught in school that uh, the more you work before you get up to preach, the less they'll have to work to figure out what you said. Uh, and a lot of people say, yeah, but the Bible says don't even think about what you're going to say. The Lord will give you the words when you get up there. No, he didn't. He said that about to his disciples when they were going to be persecuted. He said, they're going to bring you before the council and they're going to, before the synagogue and so forth. Don't think about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit will give you words right then. Now, I believe in that. And I believe if it's a message or a word of prophecy or interpretation of tongue, God will give you the message then, but not <coughs> getting up here to preach every week. You say, why not? Well, one old, one old preacher tried it. He said, I'm going to just get up there. I'm going to wait until I get up there and see what God tells me. He said, well, how did it work? He said, he told me something. He said, what did he say? He said, you ain't prepared. So anyway, uh, I'm, I'm going to be prepared. So I may be a little bit boring and regimented and got structure, but uh, Christianity <clears throat> is not boring. I'll tell you that. Uh, the world thinks they've got the freedom, but he who the sun sets free is the one that's free indeed. The world can, can have happiness, and that's okay. Let them have happiness. we got the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. So we're, we're, we're dealing with something completely different. We're talking about the Christian life. The Christian life is a blessing because we're walking and talking with God. I was watching a TV program, and there was two girls. They were, uh, they were at a party, and one of them had a curfew at 12 o'clock, and the other didn't have one anyway. One o'clock, the girl was still out at the party. The mama come out with her nightgown on and her hair and curlers and everything and went out and snatched her out of the party. Said, where are you at? I was wondering what happened to you and all this. And the girl was so embarrassed, she told her friend the next day, I'll never forgive my mama for doing that. That humiliated me in front of everybody coming out there like that. And she told her friend that for a little bit, and her friend said, you need to stop. She said, why? She says, you ought to be thankful she cared enough about you to check on you. You know what time I got home, she said? She said, no. She said, I got home at 3. You know who was waiting on me? Nobody. You know who cared if I was hurt or anything? Nobody. I'll tell you this. I thank God this life, we got somebody that cares about us. We got somebody that cares when we fall, cares when we make dumb decisions, cares when we're struggling, cares when we have this and that. He cares about us. We, we love him and he loves us. So the Christian life is an exciting life that we're going to be dealing with. It's not a boring life. I read this about, I don't understand this, but I, I read this about those that go and spend their life in a monastery in, in, in their name of serving God. Here's what they did in this monastery. Typical day, they wake up at 5 o'clock for prayer and daily devotion. 6 o'clock, they have vigils, uh, start with meditation. 7.15, they have a morning prayer sung in English. 
9 o'clock, they read three psalms and have mass. At 10.15, they have morning prayer sung in English, and then they do housework. 12 noon, they have midday prayer sung in English. 12.30, they have lunch served. After that, they have one hour of free time. Then at 1.30, they have a hymn, three psalms, and reading and a prayer. At 2.30, they work around the monastery. At 4 o'clock, they take a break and a cup of tea. 5 o'clock, they have vespers in Latin, and then they prepare for supper. 6.45, they have supper, which is a main meal of the day. 8.15, they have compline or night prayer sung in English. Then they spend time in silence. Then they turn out the lights at 11 o'clock. They do it every day. Now, if I had to do that, I'd run out of here screaming. That's not life. I'm talking about here. What makes the Christian life so exciting? Well, I'm going to tell you this. Uh, and let me say this. Those who are on fire for the Lord, that's what the Christian life is supposed to look like. We think they're weird or a little bit fanatical. That's what it's supposed to look like. I wrote down six things. If you just do these six things, your, your life for Christ should be a lot more exciting. And that's not uh, an exhaustive list of any stretch of the imagination. Here's what you need to know. You need to understand where God has gifted you and given you talents. You don't need to live the rest of your life trying to do something you're not called to do or not gifted to do or trying to compare yourself to other people and trying to outdo others when you don't have that. Find out where God's gifted you and work in that area. God's got a place for you. You can go to the nursery and get two healthy plants and bring them home and you can plant one that's supposed to be in the sunlight and plant it in the shade it's not going to do well you can plant one that's supposed to have a lot of shade and put it out in the sun it's not going to do well there's nothing wrong with the plants it's where they're planted they're not in the place they're supposed to be you'll find out where you're supposed to be in the body of christ and work there you'll be fulfilled you'll have enjoyment and you'll be productive for the kingdom of god here's the second thing you ought to do if you want to have a, a good life take the bible literally you say, you shouldn't have to be telling people that, should you? There's a lot of people who say, well, I don't think that applies, or I think that's the men, I don't really take that real seriously. If I thought about the Bible like that, I'd throw the whole thing away. Amen. If I just thought parts of it applied to us and the rest of it didn't matter or anything like that, take it literally. That's the way God, one of the way God speaks to us. Uh, keep up with prophecy. You say, wow, that's a weird one. I love to read the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other hand and say, hey, God saw this thousand years ago. It just reinforces to me God knows God has got a plan, and it's all fitting into his plan. Here's another thing. Pray specific prayers. A lot of Christians pray shotgun prayers. I call it shotgun prayers because we just shoot up something in there, and we don't know if God answers because we don't know what we're praying for. It's not specific about anything. You don't seek God specifically. If you want to have an exciting life, I heard one time of a guy was praying. The guy said, what are you praying for? He says, nothing in particular. He said, what has God done? He said, nothing in particular. Uh, and that's the way it is because we're, uh, we're just kind of doing things casually and don't have a purpose and don't, don't even know when God does something because we, we never ask him specifically. Number five, seek the Holy Ghost. A lot of people tell me, boy, I wish we lived 2,000 years ago, walked around with Jesus. Well, that's true. But he said... I'm going to go away and leave a comforter for you. And he'll not only be with you, he'll be in you. He'll guide you, he'll direct you, he'll speak, he'll empower you, he'll do whatever. Seek to, to, to listen to the Holy Ghost and, and allow the Holy Ghost to have his way. And number six, to have a really a, a, a enjoyable Christian life, 
do something every day to show the love of Jesus to somebody. Whether you're telling them about Jesus, you're showing them the love. Uh, Danny Etheridge just led us in the financial peace, Dave Ramsey, for eight lessons. And this last lesson on giving really had a good illustration or a good point in there. He said, if you got $300, if you're managing your money where you're a good giver now, if you got $300 in your pocket, you could take your wife out to a nice restaurant. That'd be a wonderful thing. But you take that $300 and you see that poor girl that's struggling to make ends meet or whatever, and you go over and give her $300. That'll go so much farther in your That'll mean so much more to you than that meal. You can't imagine. So I'm saying do something, them random acts of kindness or whatever. Do something every day of your life telling somebody or showing somebody how much Jesus loves them. If you'll do those things, you'll have a good Christian life. I can promise you that. Uh, Dennis Rainey, the president of Family Life, said this. Here's the seven secrets of the Christian life. Seek God, not sin. Fear God, not men. Love God, not the world. Obey God, not your appetites. And serve God, not self. If you'll do those things, you'll have it. All right, so here's what Solomon's talking about in the first part of uh, chapter 11. He's talking about if you want to have an exciting life, make it a walk of faith. The first six verses he's going to be dealing with here. Uh, faith can be broad or it can be complicated. Let me say this about faith. That's a big subject. Faith is a fruit of the Spirit. Faith is a gift of the Spirit. Faith is a doorway to salvation. The Bible says four times the just shall live by faith. The Bible says, Paul said, whatever is not of faith is sin. James said, faith without works is dead. Paul said, we're saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves gift of God lest any man should boast Hebrews says without faith it's impossible to please God so we're saved by faith we live by faith we walk by faith we can't please God without without faith what I'm saying what what Solomon's going to say if you want to have an enjoyable life start walking in faith start walking in faith believing God trusting God taking God at his word everything in life involves when it comes to faith it means you're risking something it involves a risk. Now, most of us here have insurance. The reason we have insurance is because we don't want to take the risk of a, a bad accident or a catastrophe or something like that we can't afford. So we're shifting the risk to the insurance company. Now, like one old boy said, uh, think about insurance. Uh, it's kind of like a, the gown they put on you in the hospital. Uh, you're not covered as much as you think you might be covered. Anyway, I don't know about that. But, but, but we're, we're trying to cover ourselves. That's what, that's what we use insurance for. But faith is taking a risk. Faith is taking a risk. Stepping out on the Word of God, obeying God. Noah took a risk. He built an ark out in the middle of the desert and had never seen rain before because rain was coming. Abraham took a risk. He took his whole family, moved out of town, and took them to a place he didn't even know where he's going and was willing to kill his own son because he just knew God was going to raise him back up. Moses took a risk. He went up to Pharaoh and said, let all the people, your whole economy is going to go because everybody you got out there working, my people, the slaves, let them go. Gideon. Gideon had a pretty good army, but not a real big army. And God said, you got way too many. And he shrunk him down to 300 against 135,000 Midianites. That's 450 to 1. That's for every one you... Look at the odds. You'd have to kill 450. Each one of you got to kill 450 of them. 
But God says, take, take me at my word on that. Esther, you can just go down the list. Walking by faith is very exciting, but it's a risk. But if you want an exciting life, step out and trust God. Step out and believe God. And so he's going to give us two examples of what faith looks like and make for a great life. A merchant sending out his ships in verses 1 and 2. Let's look at that. Ship your grain across the sea. After many days you may receive a return. Invest in seven ventures, yea, and eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. Okay. Now in the King James Version, which I've always gone by, it says cast your bread upon the water and it'll come back to you. We've heard that as a song that's been popular in recent years. Uh, I never under, quite understood that. What do you mean? Why do you want to cast your bread out on the water and let it come back to you? The waves will bring it back to you. All that got me was soggy bread. I, and I just couldn't understand. The only time I've ever done that was trying to feed ducks or chum up a brim or something like that. But it's really a scripture talking about you've got to be willing to step out and take a risk and God will bring it back to you. And, and they're talking about bread. That was the main staple of those days. They would take grain and put it on ships and send it out there for business. And then they would get paid for it. And that was part of the, the business. And it involved risk. Why do you say it involved risk? Well, ship could sink, could hit some rocks or something. It could hit a storm like Paul did in Acts. And tore the whole ship up and they just made it to an island. Uh, there are pirates out there that can steal everything you got. So there's a risk involved when you're trying to uh, do business. You may not get the money back. But if you don't do it, you surely won't get it back. And so he's talking about that in this passage of Scripture right here. He said in verse 2 and verse 5 and verse 6, because you don't know what's going to happen. That's what faith is. You don't know. You're trusting God. You're standing on His Word. You're taking Him at His Word. So he gives us an example of a business person uh, casting his bread out on the water in a ship. One day the, the, the money will come back to you is what he said. Okay. Then he gives another illustration of a farmer sowing their seed in a field. Look at this in verses uh, 3 through 6. If clouds are full of water, they pour rain on the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls there it will lie. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Okay, here he said, you won't step out and do what you need to do if you're looking at other things too much. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Sow your seed in the morning and evening. Let your hands not be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. Okay, now, next thing, give me an example of faith. He talked about a businessman putting their bread out there or grain. It'll come back to you. Talking about a farmer. Don't be looking at everything or you'll be afraid to plant anything. Working with farmers for like 21 years, I, I watched the different things they go through from uh, plowing it and planting it to uh, maintaining the crop, harvesting the crop, and everything in between. There's a lot of risk involved in many different ways. Uh, you've got your input costs, your fertilizer. Most people uh, don't know this, but most of the fertilizer comes from outside of we got it in our country, but a lot of it, other countries have a lot more of it than we've got. For example, uh, nitrogen. China produces three times more nitrogen than the United States does. And nitrogen is a big thing for growing. 
Potash, Canada has 14 million metric tons. The United States have a, has a half a million. Phosphorus, Russia has 85 million metric tons. The United States has one-fourth of that. So we got 22 million, but not nearly as much. Most of, the, most of the phosphorus comes from this state right here, down in middle of Florida. So anyway, weeds, disease, the market, everything used to be in watermelons and other things, even in peanuts and so forth too. It's almost like there has to be one part of the country that has the disaster so the other people can make money. If everybody has a bumper crop, it just floods the market and the price goes down to nothing unless you've got a contract already signed. So you've got to be careful. There's a lot of risk, a lot of risk. You've got to trust God. That's what he's saying. You're going to have to trust God. If you want to have a life that's got some excitement to it, you're going to have to trust God. I always remember the story of the, it was a general assembly time, and everybody's at the convention in the big city, and there's going to be 12,000 people there for the opening night service. Anyway, one of the big, uh, they, they had preaching going on all through the, the day, and one guy was supposed to preach at 2 o'clock, and he just got an emergency call from a family member, and he said, he told the general overseer, I got to go home. I, I, there's no way I can stay and preach. I got to go. This is an emergency. So the general overseer was in a predicament. He said, I got to find somebody to preach at the last moment for this guy. And he found a young guy that had been a preacher three or four years. He said, I want you, hey, son, I want you to fill in and preach for this man. Two o'clock. He says, me? He said, I ain't never preached in front of thousands of people. He said, that's okay. Trust God. He'll help you. Yeah, but, sir, my, my church ain't got but 50 people. I've never done any of that, and I've ne I'm not prepared for anything like this. He said, boy, trust God. If you want to go anywhere with God, you just got to trust him. And he didn't want to say no to the head man, so he went there. He said, okay. He, he didn't know what to do. And he went in the back room to pray and to seek God. And he found a Bible over there in the corner, began to look, hoping God would give him something. And he looked and had some good notes in there of a sermon somebody had in there. And he looked at those and he said, I think I'll preach this. This is good, really good. He studied that thing for about an hour, an hour and a half. He got out and he preached at the 2 o'clock service. There were three or 4,000 people there, and it brought the house down. That was the best message they'd ever heard. He was proud when he got off the stage, and he looked at the, uh, the general overseer was coming to him. He said, he's going to congratulate me. I did what he said. And he was mad as a wet setting hen. He said, what have you done? He said, I preached like you told me to. I trusted God. You got my Bible, and those are my notes. I'm speaking tonight at, 12, at, at the main service. 12,000 people are going to be out there, and I've been preparing that message for two weeks. What am I going to do? He said, just trust God, brother. Trust God. <laughs> and that's the way we got to do. We just got to trust God one way or the other. Okay, if you want to live a good, happy life, trust God. Here's the second thing you need to do. The Christian life is about rejoicing. That's what makes it... Let's look at verses 7 through 9. Light is sweet, and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all, but let them remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. For you who are young, be happy while you're young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart, and whatsoever your eyes see, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Okay, 
There used to be three, things, three R's what you're supposed to learn in school, reading, writing, arithmetic. Remember that? The three R's here is really rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. He's talking about joy and, and rejoicing. Joy is one of the great blessings of this life. I would say the number one thing to look for if a person's a Christian is their love. You'll, they'll know we're Christians by our love. The second thing you can pretty much tell as a child of God is if they've got the joy of the Lord. If they don't have the joy of the Lord, I'd really question, I'd really question their relationship with the Lord. The Bible says joy or joyful is found 250 times. Rejoice appears 200 times in the Bible. So that's 450 times that we're shown uh, to have a joyful or a rejoicing life. Joy is not happiness. The world has happiness. They have, we have happy birthdays, happy meals, happy hour. Uh, the the, the Constitution Declaration talked about we're supposed to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness and so forth. That's happiness. Happiness is based on what's happening around you. It's, it's what's going on in your life, your circumstances. If, it, if things are going good, that produces happiness. We're not talking about that. We're talking about joy. Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. He said that from prison. Here's what Jesus said in John 15, 11. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Our joy is a supernatural thing. It's something the Lord gives us, the Holy Spirit gives us. Our joy is in the Lord. Uh, so I'm moving as quickly as I can. One of the great parts of a happy life is make sure you're walking by faith, taking a risk, trusting God, stepping out. Number two, live a life of joy. You don't know what's going on around you, but you've got to have joy. You look at verse 7 through 9, and it talks about a lot about joy and rejoicing. Number three, the Christian life is about removing some things. Look at verse 10. So then, banish anxiety. Get rid of anxiety from your heart and cast off. So you need to circle banish and cast off the troubles of your body. For youth and vigor are meaningless. There's a number of things that you're supposed to put on when you become a Christian. Let me just read you some. We were supposed to put on the whole armor of God in Ephesians 6. Put on the whole armor of God. Romans 13, 14 says this. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Galatians 3, 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Ephesians 4, 24. Put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So the Christian life, yeah, it's about putting on things. It's also about removing things, taking things off, getting rid of things. In Hebrews, he talked about run this race, and he said lay aside the weight and the sin that easily besets you so you can run. You've got to get rid of some things. If you want to have a joyful life, you're going to have to learn to walk by faith. You're going to have to learn how to have joy in the midst of all the darkness around you, and you're going to have to learn how to get rid of things or allow God to get rid of things in your life that's weighing you down. And that's just the way it is. Uh, a few years ago, I was uh, typing on my computer, and I'm very gullible. If somebody comes on and says, you need to call this number or do this, 
or we're going to shut your computer down or something. I just called it. And when I did, they held me hostage. If I could have got my throat hands around that person's throat, I would have prayed, Jesus, help them, because I'm killing this person. Uh, it, it was just absolutely, if you don't send us this money, we're going to crash your computer or whatever. Lock it out. You can't get back in it. And I couldn't. And I had probably five or 600 sermons, lessons, funerals. I bet you I had five or 6,000 hours at a minimum that was gone, deleted. That was a low spot. Thankfully, Jonathan Lewis came along and somehow or another got it restored for me. But I thought, I've just lost everything, thousands of hours of work, blood, sweat, and tears, and it's gone. What he's saying is you still have to get rid of some things. There are some people that are hoarders. A hoarder is somebody that doesn't turn loose of anything, for various reasons, because they, they're stingy or they're afraid they'll never get it back or whatever. could be a lot of different reasons. They just don't turn loose of things. But as a Christian, if you want to have a good life, you're going to have to turn loose some things. You're going to have to lay some things aside. Uh, it's, part, it's all about growing in the Lord. When you're starting to learn how to ride a bike, eventually you have to take the training wheels off and ride the big boy's bike. Eventually you have to take off the diapers and put on the big boy pants. Eventually, you have to get rid of the bottle and eat grown-up food. Eventually, you have to get rid of your restricted driver's license and get a regular driver's license. It's part of growing up. You're laying some things off. Paul said in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, he says, When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. That's part of enjoying this life is learning what to put away and what to remove out of your life. I've I, I just started writing down things we need to remove. We need to remove excuses. How many got excuse for everything, why, why it won't work or why you can't do it? Remove perfectionism. If, it, if I can't do it perfectly, I'm not going to do it at all. Hmm. Remove fear. We walk by faith, not by fear. Remove the need to be in control. Remove the need to say yes when you ought to say no. Remove people that are toxic to your life. Remove the need to compare yourself to everybody else. Remove grudges you've been carrying for the last 20 years. There's a lot of things you've got to remove. Somebody said the Christian life is like going down an escalator and you get saved and now the rest of your life you're walking up that escalator. It's coming down and you're going up. You're going against the world, the flesh, and the devil now. You're going against the way the masses of people are going. But you're moving in a different direction. You've got to lay some things aside or you won't be able to move. You know, everybody here, you've got a trash can in your house or multiple trash cans. When you get through eating, you scrape through and whatever and throw the garbage and stuff in the garbage, the old pieces of meat and different things. But you don't leave it there long or it'll run you out of the house. So you put it in the garbage. Then after a day or two or three or however long it takes, you take the garbage and put it outside. But you don't leave it there. Somebody comes by and picks it up and hauls it to the dump. And that's the way the Lord did us. He brought us out of the mire of sin 
He removed the penalty of sin from us. And now he's in the process of sanctification. He's trying to remove the power of sin over us. And one day he's going to remove us completely from the very presence of sin. But it's all a process. It's all where we're going. Let me say this. I'm going to quit. Does anybody here know what is special about April the 9th, 1865? Brother Rick gets a prize. That was the last, that was the end of the Civil War. The Southern General, Robert E. Lee, went to the Northern General, Ulysses S. Grant, the Appomattox, or Virginia, and surrendered. And that was the end of a four-year-long war, over 600,000 people killed, 3.6 million slaves freed. Who was the president? Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln, our 16th president. He was, uh, in many ways, I would put him up there in the top three or four presidents in the history of our country. I'm not going to tell you where I'd rank the current uh, president. Anyway, <coughs> take that off the tape. I might get, uh, it might be a spider. Anyway, but anyway, what was his great accomplishment? He did great a lot of things, but he held a country together that was being pulled apart at the seams. And we stayed as the United States together. April 9th, 1865, five days later, he was killed in a theater by John Wilkes Booth. What was the purpose of his life? Well, it served the purpose while he was here. What's the purpose of our life? You want to have a happy life? You want to have what a Christian life is supposed to be? You better learn how to walk by faith. You better learn to realize the joy of the Lord is your strength and doesn't matter what's going on around you. And you better realize you're going to have to lay aside some things that are weighing you down if you're going to really run this race. We'll pick up part two next week. What was the old song, Only One Life? Twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I want you to stand with me. I'll say this to anybody here today that doesn't know Jesus. We've heard about these young people that some of them give their heart to Jesus. You can't live unless you're first prepared to die. And you're not prepared to die unless you've been born again. So I tell you this, if you don't know Jesus, we're inviting you right now. He gave his life for you that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That's the life we're talking about. You can't even have a good life if you're not a child of God. And everybody else that is a Christian, here's my message to you. Are you really walking by faith? Do you do much, most of everything you do in your life is in your own strength, your own power? You don't really need God that much. Do you truly walk in the joy of the Lord? Is your life one of joy and rejoicing? Or do you get overwhelmed, overcome by fear and anxiety? And number three, have you learned how to lay aside the things that's holding you down, holding you back? These are the beginning of what it means to have a life 
worth living. Let's pray. If you need prayer today, you come to these altars, we'll pray with you. If you want to just seek God, come, we'll pray with you. Spend some time before you leave. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Father, for your grace and mercy. I pray for everyone here today. God, before we leave here, help us to realize we can't do anything without you. And you've chosen to use us to do what you want to do in this world. Use your people. I pray for these here today, God. May we examine our heart. May we do something about it and get up and walk out of here the first day of the rest of our life a different person. We give you glory, praise, and honor for all your love and grace. Minister to every heart and soul. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Amen. All right. God bless you. If you need prayer, come pray.